Hi guys, this is Malobi, CEO of Pan-African Traders, and you are listening to the Pan-African Traders podcast. On this podcast, we are going to be having interviews and speaking with some experts that are involved with the B2B trade within Africa and the diaspora. Stay tuned for what's up next. For those of you, obviously, you guys can't see this, but uh, Rotomi's got a whole farm in his background. So, <laughs> Dude, so I, I, put, I put that there and I don't know how to take it off. <laughs> so it's not intentional. Fair enough, fair enough, man. It, it looks good, it looks good. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic, thank you. Awesome, awesome. Uh, yeah, I know you're, you're a busy man, so I won't take too much of your time, you know, before we get going. Um, but yeah, welcome, welcome to this, uh, you know, clubhouse room slash um, Zoom recording. Um, so my name is Malobi Ogbechi, I'm the founder of Pan-African Traders, um, the B2B marketplace. And today we're, we're joined by Rotimi Williams, who um, I will let uh, sort of do his own introduction. So Rotimi, can you um, tell us a little bit about yourself and yeah, a bit about your background and how you eventually got into agriculture? That would be great. Okay, uh, so in a nutshell, I'm a farmer, uh, a tech entrepreneur, so I'm into more security tech. I don't know, is that, is that what it's called now? Yeah, GovTech, I'm not sure what to call it. And part-time, part-time artist as well. So this, I've been farming since 2012. I used to work with Euro Money Magazine in London. I schooled in Aberdeen. I did my undergrad in Aberdeen. I did my first master's in Aberdeen. And then I did another master's at the School of Oriental and African Studies in London. And yeah, here I am, hustling in Nigeria. <laughs> really hustling, bro, really hustling. Yeah. We all know Nigeria is not the easiest place to hustle, you know, especially with what's going on right now. But we'll, we'll get around to doing that, to talking about that. Sure. But um, how, did you, how did you end up from, um, you know, you said you, you were working for a magazine, I believe, and then getting yeah. into agriculture. So how did, how yeah. did that transition happen? I guess I guess it was time. Uh, you know, you know when you you travel and you're schooling there, and you watch all these music videos, and you start missing home, and then you get a job that allows you to travel around Africa, including one of them being Nigeria. One of the countries I covered was Nigeria, and you know it just became real that I wanted to be back home. There was a buzz going on at that time where you know it was Kenya, beat South Africa, beat uh, Zambia, you know. Everything seemed to be happening. Young people were doing a lot, and I wanted to be part of that of that journey as well. So, you know, I kind of felt it was time for me to to move back to move back home. And I was pushed by one of the banks I came to interview uh, here in Nigeria, and so that gave me a soft landing. You know, made the decision to move home easier, and that was it really. So that's how I moved back. But you know, like every story that they think everyone thinks has a happy ending, that story did not have a happy ending. So I left banking two years afterwards. I left banking in 2010. I tried to uh, create a fund, a structured trade and commodity finance fund for agriculture. That failed because we couldn't raise the funding. Uh, the seed funding was impossible. And then, so I went into consulting. So I wanted to consult for small farms that wanted to raise money in, in agriculture. And that's how I got the gig I'm on now. That's awesome. That's awesome. And yeah. um, well, how was, you know, you said you started in 2012. What was the agribusiness landscape in Nigeria like in 2012 compared to like, you know, 2021 where we're at right now? I think 2012 was still very, it was still virgin, to be honest. I mean, 
there are not many young people uh, in agriculture. The few people I knew perhaps doing like veg, small veg farming, but there was nothing uh, by measure of what uh, uh, I was looking at in terms of large scale farming. Uh, that, that was non-existent at that point. So it was, it was pretty much virgin. That was sort of the beginning of the drive, this whole agricultural uh, drive by uh, the then minister, Adishino. You know, so I sort of joined that at the right, at the right time, you see. Okay, okay. That's interesting. And uh, finally, what about the agriculture bit? Like why, why rice? Of all the different commodities to get into, why rice? Okay, so there are, there are two reasons actually. So first, the, so you need to understand the background story. So while I was consulting, the, with the first gig I got, which was actually the only gig I then got, right? Uh, I was asked to raise $130 million uh, for a rice farm. It was a 17,000 hectare rice farm in Nasarawa. And I raised the funds through a bank in London. It was Commerce Bank in London. It was guaranteed by Nersal, right? And then that same year, after getting the funds, we'd done the first signing of the, uh, what's it called, the indicative term sheet. We're going for the second and final signing. And then NERSA was now to become a PLC. It was owned by CBN, so it was then to become a PLC. And all the loans under NERSA was to innovate to the PLC. And the bank got uncomfortable with that because effectively what they had was, they now had a sovereign loan becoming a PLC loan, uh, sorry, a sovereign guarantee becoming a PLC guarantee, and they asked that CBN write a letter that in the case that NERSO cannot pay in the event of a default, that CBN would pay. And CBN said it was against that constitution. And that was the end of that deal. The deal failed. Yeah, so, and I, I was a young guy then, dude. Like, I spent a lot of my money, you know, traveling, meeting different bankers. It wasn't just Commerce Bank I approached at the time. You know, I've spoken to various bankers that traveled you know, London flights, Lagos to London, you know, you start calculating your cut of the, of the $130 million and, you know, you stop flying economy, start flying business class, you know, like you think you arrived now. <laughs> Do you understand? Exactly. And then you're going for lunch, you're going for lunch with bankers, you're meeting, you know, like that, that ordering, you know, Kobe beef and wines that you didn't know existed for your it's really nice. 500, <laughs> 600 pounds on wine and then you feel obliged to pay because, you know, you're expecting this big payout. So I spent a lot of money. And it didn't work. So I asked the owner, the, the owner of the farm that mandated me to raise the fund, you know, to compensate me for my loss. And he said, he didn't have any cash. So I just threw it there in the open. I look, okay, you know, if you don't have cash, let 50-50 to the farm. And he agreed. You know, I'm like, what? I, you know, he said, yeah, no problem. Let's 50-50 the farm. So I just ran the farm up from 17,000 hectares to 55,000 hectares. And that was you, say that, you say that like it's easy. How do you, how do you go from oh, 8,000 to 55,000 hectares? That's oh, so the, I think the reason is very important first. So, because I knew that once people heard that we were farming rice on that scale, there would be a huge uh, rush for land, some sort of land, call it land grabbing if you want. So, we needed to secure all the land we needed for the future, even if we needed to do partnerships or, or anything. We need, we, I wanted all that land in one place. So, I spoke to the community. We didn't have the money to pay for the lease for 55,000 hectares for 50 years. So uh, I brought them into the deal. I gave them a 20% equity share that at the end of every season, we give them 20% of the profits, give them a nominal amount at the beginning to sort of just ease, their, you know, ease themselves off. You know, and that was it. And they signed the deal. So we didn't need to pay millions and millions for for that size of land, no. And I think that's a mistake a lot of people make. A lot of people assume that to get big land, you need to pay big money. You know, you can structure your way into a deal. 
Okay, okay. Right, that's so, exactly. yeah, for, those, for people that are listening in, that's that's some game right there. So you don't need to just get a bunch of cash to, to, to own all that land. You can get like a profit. No, no, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So that's what I did. Oh, that's dope. That's dope. That's amazing. Um, and so, you, you know, the the long story short of it is that you ended up, you know, stopping the project. So can you go into a bit of that, you know, how, you know, you ended up stopping the, the one of the largest commercial farms in Nigeria, rice farms in Nigeria, and what you're doing yeah. now? Yes, I mean, then when we started, we started on 50 hectares. And the plan was always to sort of, you know, when you when you harvest, you take about 20% out of the profits to sort of just for upkeep and then you plow the rest back in and then plowing back in means for your expansion plan and then we expand off our balance sheet because the one thing we did not want we didn't want any bank loans you know because agriculture is very i mean if you understand nature you can't I mean, if you think you're intelligent nature will put you to the test right so we didn't want a scenario where we won't be sleeping at night because it rained and the rain washed everything away so we wanted to do it that way we did successfully for a couple of years uh, we also worked, uh, we benefited from this uh, backward integration plan with the government where they allowed us to bring in rice, save some cash, and then plow back the funds, the savings onto the farm, which is what allowed us to fund the big expansion, right? At the same time, we lost a lot of that money due to flood, you know, and then rebuilding. So it's constantly strategizing and adapting every season, season year by year. And that's, you know, that's a picture a lot of people don't see. You know, a lot of people just see this beautiful picture of a farm but they don't know the detail and what really goes into it. So yeah, that was it. Uh, fast forward now to 2015, 2016, you know, we started getting bits and bobs of uh, uh, the, this former header issues, you know, the killing in, in Benway State started, it was 71 people killed on New Year's, New Year's Day. And, you know, the, the, the damaging thing there was that when the government was going to send the army in and the, and the police, the, the inspector general of the police, we sent them to, Tunga, which is where my farm is, to my farm, to, to the farm, because my farm is 50 minutes away from the, from the river Benway. So they effectively, effectively send them to my farming community. They were on my farm because it's alleged that where, that's where the guys who carried out this, this act took up from. They crossed the river and, and carried out this killing. So they were expecting a reprisal. So then that disrupted the planting season uh, uh, going forward. And then, you know, the hint of uh, insurgency present in the area as well. So that's basically pretty much messed up the plan so you know we find ourselves sort of rejigging the model right instead of farming in one place and expanding on big land why don't we do this why don't we say for example Malobi's father or great-grandparent passed away and left him 2,000 hectares he's not interested in in farming he's in the states he doesn't know what to do with it so he signs a deal with Rotimi for Rotimi to farm on it and give him x percent and he signs a 10-year deal so then I go there and I farm Right. So if there's any, ever any issue there, I can up and go. There's no real capital uh, tied down to that land. So that's the sort of model I'm finding myself adopting now, whereby because of the insecurity in the country, there's really no point tying you in putting the pen on the paper, signing a deal for any land now, because, you know, there's no guarantee you'll be able to farm there next year. So, yeah, the, 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 yeah, the way forward now is, you know, how do you develop a model in farming where you can farm year in, year out, even if you have to move location? As a result okay. of the insecurity, yeah. So that's sort of where we find ourselves. Last year, we farmed in uh, in Plato State. I partnered with the Nigerian Army, and the deal was simple. So the army provided the land and the security. I brought in the funding for the farm, and I farmed, and then we did a profit split at the end of it. 
You understand? Mm-hmm. But again, I can't use I can't use that same location this year because of insecurity. Because now kidnapping in that area is on the increase, so we need to change location. Even with the army, even with the army, I mean, they kill the army every day, don't they? You know, and and dude, I'm not getting, I'm not taking chances of being kidnapped. Who's gonna pay the ransom? <laughs> exactly. Uh, nah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. It's, it's 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 really bad out here, and the thing is, it's like, bef- I you know, I I recently moved back to to Nigeria like last year, and when I heard about all the stuff that's going on in the Middle Belt and in the North, you know, I I from the news I thought it was just a thing just here and there, and you know, it's a very rare situation. But you know, after having moved back and spoke spoken to people like you, and actually been to Plateau States and you know, I, I'm involved in Phonio, as you know, we spoke offline. Yeah. And, um, you know, I found out that the, one of the ladies that runs the cooperative that I work with, her husband was just killed in cold, cold blood by, uh, you know, some whatever you want to call them, bandits or whatever, you know, term you want to use. So that immediately brought me back to reality and realized that, look, this security thing needs to be at the forefront of all agribusiness discussion in Nigeria. If, if we exactly. want it to be sustainable, we need, it, we need to like somehow fix this or we need to, we need to find solutions to this because we can all you know, get it for an investment and do X, Y, Z, but if there's still an insecurity issue, the farmers can't go out into the land. So you can't, you can't farm. And then when you can't farm, food security is an issue, prices go up and it's a whole, it's a whole system, right? So um, that, that sort of leads us on to like the, the, the solution that you came up with, you know, the Resolute. Can you can you tell us a bit more about Resolute and how it works? Okay, so Resolute 4.0 was set up, and that came up in 2018. So since 2015, you know, I've been dealing with this former header issue. I came up with the Farm Out of Poverty Initiative where we trained um, 100 Fulani women every year. And, you know, it's just a way of bringing them into the project to ensure that, you know, they, they had some sense of belonging. And we believe that if we did that, then there'll be less, uh, the, 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 we reduce the chances of being run over by any headers, right? And that worked. But then again, the government didn't adopt that model. If they had adopted that model at that point, I think, I'm not saying that this issue won't come up, but I think in a lot of areas, they might have been able to reduce uh, the occurrences. I, I, I think that would have been done, but you know, the government we have, they completely ignored it. So I was invited to speak at the uh, TVC Conflict Resolution Summit in 2018, you know, and I laid down this plan I had in 2015 that I'd already implemented in 2015 to them. And they were clapping and they were wild. I'm like, well, if they're still clapping at the solution I came up with three years ago, today, then it's a big problem. It means that, you know, we're not going to solve this issue. So what more can I do besides this that doesn't benefit just me, but also the wider community? Uh, so I thought to myself that, you know what, you hear some people being killed overnight. It takes a long time to kill some to one people. Where was the police or the army at that point? What was the communication between the rural area and the security agencies? What exactly went wrong? You know, and then we realized that there was a bridge there, right? And that was what that's how we came up with Resolute 4.0. That what if we had an app that uh, we, we we put on Android phones and we distribute in the rural area, such that if there's an imminent attack or ongoing attack, the the um, the, the, the people in the rural area can push the panic alerts. I get the alert instantly. It shows their name, their location, the, the coordinates. And then the army gets it as well, and then they can move in. And because I'm a third party, I can ensure that the army moves in by tracking their movement, right? And because they know that the third party working, it's, it's sort of, I mean, the model is simple. It's like, I send you an email, Malobi, you don't respond, and I copy your boss. 
they are more likely to respond, right? So exactly. So that's sort of the concept we, we adopted. And, you know, and that was it really. So we did that and it's a four button tab. It's a map your farm, view your farm, panic alert and marketplace, right? And we we, we, we launched it in June, 2019. It's been running for three years now. In, and we launched it in Basa, local government in, uh, in Plato State. Uh, the reason we chose Basa was because in April, on April 30th, 2019, it was alleged that 300 cattle were killed uh, by the indigents of Basa local government, which obviously meant that the, a huge reprisal was coming. Right, so because of because of that, uh, we, we we chose that location, and since then, you know, we've dealt with over 220 panic alerts. Um, we've had about 120 farmers killed in that one local government alone. Uh, it's crazy, you know. We've had just over a thousand displaced people in one in just one community alone, you know. And you know, um, we also find ourselves now also not only relaying information to, to the military, but we also relay information to the hospitals because we're the first to hear of an attack, right? So if there's someone injured, for example, still alive, we'll quickly pass that information on to, to, the, uh, to, the, to, the, to the hospital. We'll give them, say, for example, the male age 30, or give them some, some sort of figure for the age and then just describe the injury so that the doctor, it takes him 20 minutes to get to the hospital from his house. It takes him another 20 minutes to set up. So by giving him prior information, you, you cut out 40 minutes of valuable time, right? Which can make a difference if you're trying to save a life, right? Then, so we cross that bridge, we do that. And then we now went further by also paying the hospital bills because we then realized that in the rural area, most of these guys cannot, they can't afford the hospital bill. And this hospital bill is in the region of 30, 40, 50 grand, right? Doesn't sound like a lot of money, but it's a lot of money to the guy in the rural area whose, whose house, is worth only about 20,000, 30,000 naira. You see, so that's sort of what Resolute is about. And now we're trying to expand to other troubled communities as well, where uh, we can also do this. And off the back of what we do, we collect the data so we can work out the frequency of the attacks, right? We take that information, we pass it on to the military, the frequency of the attack, the, the mode of attack, uh, the type of attack, if it's an ambush or a full-on attack on a community, uh, so we do all of these things and we'll pass that information on uh, to, to, the, to the army for them to effectively uh, locate their men, you know, their scarce resource in places where they can mitigate any of these attacks. You know, so that's, that's what Resolute is about. Okay, so um, yeah, we were just uh, getting onto the, the app that Timmy came up with um, that is essentially you know, used as a panic button or... Um, for farmers that are, you know, being attacked by bandits, et cetera, in the middle belt of Nigeria. Um, they are piloting the project in the northern parts of the Plateau State Government, which is in the middle, essentially in the middle of Nigeria. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of killings, you know, a lot of things going on in Nigeria when it comes to, you know, the, the clash between the herders. And, the, and uh, this is a, a solution that I, you know, I believe everyone should know about and we should promote and uh you know i think it's gonna it's, it's it's doing what he can to save a lot of lives and that kind of leads me on to another question to wrote to me because you said that um when the farmers push this button the the the, the sort of request goes to you and then you pass yeah. that message on to the military so yeah that, 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 i mean for for someone that you know just wanted to get into agribusiness that's a lot to 
to handle. I mean, it's, it, how, how has that been for you personally? You know, I'm sure it's not the easiest thing dealing with all these, um, you know, attacks, etc. Yeah, it, it's not, it, it's not my lobby, but you know, you know, since 2012, right, because of the kind of effort and, and sacrifices that we've made, you know, just to be operational in the agricultural sector. And I know how much that has inspired quite a lot of people to also get involved. I mean, the, the responsibility almost falls on you, you know, to ensure that those people stay in business. You know, I kind of feel a sense of responsibility that for those people that I've spoken to and I've pushed them, you understand, they're now facing issues. What solutions can you come up with? You understand that sort of eases uh, their, their pain, you know, and, you know, you know, and that's sort of the relationship. That's why we had to build that relationship with the army, you know, whereby, you know, we push this alert and, you know, we ensure that they react, you know, to, 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 the, to the alert. You know, we also draw the data, you know, from all the alerts that have been pushed and we analyze that data. So we, 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 we pull out things like, you know, time of attack, frequency of attack, you know, uh, this style of attack, if it's an ambush or full-on attack, the type of weapons used, we can tell you the most, the most dangerous time to be on a particular route. And the whole point of doing all this is for the army to ensure that their men are there at those times, you know, use, you know just converting that, in, uh, that uh, information into intelligence and acting on it to ensure that, you know, they stop this killing so that people can go about their lives. And what is more detrimental, if you think about it, is that about 90% of the food we consume, you know, that we buy in the markets in Nigeria that are produced here, are produced in the rural area. So if there's anything that affects the rural area by way of security, also affects the food supply, right? So that is essentially what we're, we're trying to battle, which is food, food security. Because, you know, the current, if you look at the inflation rate, we're talking about 22.8% for food inflation. You know, I don't even believe that the effect of insecurity has been is fully reflected in that figure because it, there's a huge there's a lag period before you start seeing the full effect of of of, uh, of this crisis you know in the price of food you know you start seeing that towards the end of the year and next year because a lot of farmers are not going to farm this year because of insecurity and that's what we're trying to combat. Yeah, I was just saying that um, I just find it a, a little bit ironic that you know I've I've got more information from you about you know how these. Um, bandits, etc., operate when they operate. You know what parts of Nigeria they operate. Than I have from the Nigerian government, which is which is a bit bizarre. Um, and I'm just thinking, like, why why do you think that you know no one or I mean I don't want to <laughs> use the wrong words, but why why do you think that you had to do this? You know, are there no other things being done by the government? Um, any other, you know, technology, technolo technological platforms that they're using? Why do you think that someone like yourself had to create this app and not the government? Because I, I think to deal with this issue, you need, you need to understand both sides. You need to be, you almost need to be involved in farming or be directly connected to the rural area to understand the pains on one side, you understand, and the economic side as well, to understand the economic implication of that. Then you can develop a solution. I don't think that, the, the Nigerian army is, is privileged to do that. I don't think the Nigerian government uh, or those in government also understand or fully understand the implications of the, of the crisis going on in the rural area. That's, that's a plain honest truth. So we feel that by doing this and by highlighting some of this uh, data and also talking about the effects of, of, of such conflict, we'll push them to, to pay more attention and do more 
by way of securing the farms. A lot of people are not going to farm this year. I'm not going to go to the farm this year. There's no way I'm, I'm farming this year. Instead, you know, we're considering moving to other, near, uh, other African countries. And that's what's going to happen. The minute we sign this free trade, uh, this African free trade agreement, then there's no real reason to farm in Nigeria, to be honest, because it means that you can farm anywhere else and move your produce into Nigeria. So why not move to a safer environment where it's easier to raise funds, easier to pay back those funds, it's easier to thrive, and, uh, and the people you're working with you know, are secure. Why not do that? You know, it's, it's unfortunate, but if this issue is not dealt with immediately, then you're gonna have a flight of farmers to other neighboring countries, and it's gonna take a lot more to bring them back. No, I, I completely understand where we're coming from. Even me, myself, yeah. as uh, someone that has investments in agribusiness in Nigeria, you know, with all these challenges and the government choosing not to step up, it does it does discourage you. It does make you think, why why don't I just go to Ghana and start my farm over there, start processing over there? And so um, I do know where you're coming from, uh, yeah. but I, I still I still hope that, you know, something happens. I know that, I mean, even looking at the news today, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on in Nigeria right now. So it's depressing. I, it, it's it's really crazy. It's really crazy, mm. and I, I hope that it's got to the point where they feel like, okay, it's gone too far now. We need to do something. But at the same time, I worry that they, you know, have they even reached that limit? Do do they even see? I don't know. I, I'm just I don't know whether I should give up or I should keep pushing for Nigeria. Honestly, I think so. Let, let me just help you out here. I think the challenge is that. Uh, if, if it's a matter of they've gone too far, I think that will reach a point about three years ago, right? And still nothing has been done. I think there's a total lack of capacity and understanding of the, of the issues that we're currently being faced with and a lack of ideas or solution, do you understand, on how to deal with the issue. And, you know, we made a critical error when we started breaking down the conflict by way of, you know, you have Boko Haram on one side, you have Farmer on one side, you have kidnapping issues on one side and you have banditry on one side. Do you understand? The fact that we broke them down in that manner is what has led us to this position. If you lump them up and just tag them as terrorist activity, do you understand? Then you will have taken the issues a bit more seriously. There's no way someone has a hundred cows and is going to leave those hundred cows roaming around to go and kill some people. Do you understand? So yeah. it may not be them carrying out, directly carrying out the killings. That's not to say that there's no militia attached to them carrying out the killings on their behalf. Right. So and if that is so, then then they must be tagged. Those militia must then be tagged as terrorists. So what you effectively have is that you're, you're dealing with terrorists across or across board. Do you understand? So it's not just in the northeast where you're, where you're focusing on terrorists and then leaving yeah. the police to deal with the issues inland. The military should, should be dealing with issues across board. Do you understand? And, you know, yeah. it, 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 it's crazy. I know what I've seen. I know the information that I have when it comes to security issues in the rural area. So. I can tell you for free that the police cannot deal with the issue. The civil defense cannot deal with the issue. The army can deal with the issue, but it also would not be that straightforward for them because it's more of a guerrilla warfare than anything else. So it's not really that straightforward. You see, so we have a huge problem in our hands and, you know, it's time to start discussing the future of agriculture in Nigeria. And, you know, what is even more baffling is the fact that you have a minister of agriculture, right? Who doesn't only sit down? It doubles as the Minister of Agriculture and Rural Development, which means that if he doesn't want to deal with the issues of agriculture, it still has to deal with the, the issues of rural development. But on both on both fronts, he's failing because we've not heard his voice. He hasn't said anything about the killings. He's not said anything about the state 
of uh, of the economy within in the rural area. He's not preferred any solution. He's not showed us any plans. Do you understand? He's not in the dialogue when security agencies are meeting with government. You know, and that that for me spells disaster. Because if you are the driver of the sector, you are the number one advisor to the to the to the president on the sector, and you're not present in those meetings, you don't have a plan. Then what exactly are we supposed to do? The players within that sector. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what really worries me the most about the Nigerian case is that there's a there's a there's a silence, and the, the silence is almost deafening. It's like, yeah, well, no one's like the, the president is not speaking up, the minister of agriculture is not speaking speaking up, but. Um, yeah, I mean, let's 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 point the conversation to a little bit more more positive. I mean, in terms of your, your project uh, with the, yeah. with the app, um, have there been any successes? Have you seen like you know a reduction in, in attacks in certain areas of Nigeria? Um, has the data helped? So basically, so what we've seen in what we've seen in Basa, where we launched in Petu, it's a population of one hundred eighty-six thousand people. You know, is that. Uh, the information we have is that, you know, once once the attacks reduce on one side, okay, so the thing about Basa, right? Okay, let me paint the picture better for you, right? The three most volatile places in Plato, which is Basa, Riyam, and Bakiladi, all three of them border Kaduna South, right? So what we see is that when the attacks reduce, when the, when the attacks reduce in, in Basa local government, for example, right, it increases on the other side, which is Kaduna. Right, and the only way you can see this is through the data we pull out. Do you understand? Also, the uh, data is also being used by the army to set up checkpoints in uh, in critical areas in the in the local government, which has also reduced the attacks in those areas. Do you understand? By yeah. way of passing information to the hospitals as well, we've had good, we've had success, uh, and and, uh, and you know victims have gone and survived because they had uh, they had uh, what's it called. Uh, immediate, immediate attention to, you know, immediate attention at the hospital, you know, to deal with their injuries. Do you understand? And also because we also take up most of the bills uh, of these of these victims, it also means that there's no pressure on the hospital. They can receive victims and begin uh, and begin uh, treatment immediately. So by way of that, I, I'd say that yes, it's successful. But you know, the issues and the, the you know, my my own pain is. To know that something works and you literally have to beg the country to take that solution and and uh, implement it across the country, you know, is baffling for funding. The U.S. government wrote a letter for sole solicitation, you understand, that they will sponsor. While we are here running around the Nigerian government and the military and the NSC and the like for, for them to, you know, for them to fund this. You know, it's a foreign government that's taking it more seriously. And, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, it's like someone else is taking Paranormal for your headache. It's, it's ridiculous. No, it, 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 it really is crazy. And, uh, you know, I, I'd like to personally thank you for the work you've been doing. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's this you. kind of work that is this, this really important, you know, actually being, being out there, creating solutions, helping the farmers, um, mm. you know, helping them to, to reach get help, you know, and um, whether it be from the hospitals, from the military, um, they, these kind of solutions are definitely needed. Um, and, and so I guess I just wanted to maybe round things off by asking, you know, with, with the project you're working on, how, how can we support you? How can we help? Um, do, do you want us to tell more people about it? Do you want us to, you know, do you want investment in the project? Like what, what ways can we support the project that you're working on? 
I think I think in every way possible. I think you know it's a huge project. It's something started by someone, you know. But for that vision to be to be achieved, I think a lot of hands would have to touch it to push that project. You know, I I can't do it alone. I mean, I bootstrapped for three years on this. It's been like for three years, you know, and it's been out of pocket. With my co-founder, I have a co-founder, Joseph Agumbiade. Uh, He's the co-founder on on Resolute. You know, we've both been bootstrapping on this and pushing. You know, but it's reached that point now where for us to expand to other communities where there are issues, we're looking at each other and saying that ah, there's no way we're buying more phones out of pocket. It's not sustainable, mm-hmm. you see. And especially now where, you know, the main income earner, which is farming, is not uh, foreseeable in the near future. You know, you, you can't keep pulling out funds, you know, for, for charity. You know, the money has to come from somewhere. So we're thinking of, you know, do we do a GoFundMe? Uh, if we're looking at investors, how then do we talk about returns? Because... The issue we're dealing with goes beyond profit, right? So yeah, how do you exactly. find people that put money in? Uh, how do you, uh, in terms of how do how we make money? I think we've mapped that out actually, but uh, you know you need that initial injection of cash. So where do you get that money from? Who's interested in this? It's not as sexy as you know fintech and every everything else, which is why it's it's been a bit of a struggle to raise funding. So you know I think just getting the word out, getting the the work that has been done out there, and then just making it clear. Make it just making it clear that funding is required. You know, I I, I think I think that'll be a first first step and a good step to take. Amazing, amazing, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for for your time and uh, you know giving us all this information. The the project is super super important, especially in these times in Nigeria. And uh, hopefully, yeah. you know, we can we can help you to expand it, whether by word of mouth or finding investors, so that. You know, we can we can keep the Nigerian agricultural sector thriving. Um, you know, the thing in Nigeria is that everything you have to do yourself. If you if you want the fuel, you got to get your own generator. If you want electricity, sorry, you got to get your own generator. If you want the water, you make your own borehole. And it seems like with security, you got to find your own solutions. And uh, it's it's really a shame that it has to be that way. But you know, it makes us come up with our own solutions, and hopefully, these solutions are more long lasting. Um, so yeah, that's that's it for the sort of um, interview. I don't know if anyone in the audience had any questions. Um, if you want to raise your hand and come on stage and ask a question, I can uh, pass it on to Road to me if he can't hear you. Um, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a fantastic discussion. I've definitely learned a lot. Um, and, and just for you personally, Road to me, um, you know, with all the stuff that you have to deal with, how do you how do you keep balance? You know, how do you is it the arts? Is do you exercise? Like, how do you get out like, of headspace? It's it's crazy because now honestly, I don't I don't. So you know, this year, you know, and I said that I think I had an interview in February where I mentioned this, like beginning of first the first week of January 2021, and I was in the hospital, I was dealing with anxiety and panic attacks, you know, because of all the all the crazy stuff I went through last year, farming, you know, just driving back and forth in unsafe zone and stuff. So, you know, this year I've been asked to take it easy. Uh, so I do a lot of painting, um, focusing on art. Um, I started archery, dude, like that's how, <laughs> that's how, that's how much distraction is required. I started archery, yeah. I started boxing. I'm always running on the, I'm always running, you know, and I just try to clear my head a bit and try to uh, stay positive, you know, but you have to stay positive when every time you turn the TV on and it's, if it's not school kids being kidnapped, it's someone that is being burnt down, it's someone being killed somewhere. And every time I see this news, it just highlights how impossible it would be to attract funding to any of these areas of agriculture. 
that's a sad story, you know. So, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, you know, as much as you start trying to stay positive, you know, it's difficult. Yeah, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. And uh, yeah, I'm here. Right here. I, I can see the things that are going on. And, and before it used to be maybe just, you know, um, the bring back our girls hashtag, you know, in the north. But now it's, it's every, every part of Nigeria is affected. Um, yeah, but, it's, it's, a, it's a cocktail of disaster now. Yeah, yeah. But like you said, I think having the approach and saying like, look, let's deal with terror as a whole. Let's not pigeonhole it into, you know, Boko Haram and bandits and herdsmen and this no. and that. Let's just deal with it as, 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 you know, as what it is. You know, when you, I think I saw an interview that you did online where you were just explaining how, you know, the, the patterns and the way they work between Kaduna and Plateau. I was like, this, this goes beyond just a few, you know, you know, cattle farmers walking around, right? Yeah. This is more than that. This is this is organized, strategized, um, you know, terrorism. So um, I hope that you know the the people in in power have realized this and will get some solutions soon. But um, oh. yeah, we got we got to have these conversations. It's it's not fun. It's not exciting. It's crucial. Yeah, it's crucial. It's crucial because you know I, I I'm, I'm I'm trying to really get in that agribusiness space and expand in Nigeria but if the security issue is not solved then you, you just, we're not thinking long term so we need to solve the security first and then we can go into you know other parts of agribusiness in Nigeria mm. um, but yeah thank you very much for you know for, for, for your time on this this call um, I think we can we can sort of end it there uh, hope I didn't take too much of your time you know no 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 it was great actually Awesome. 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 talk about these things. Yeah, exactly. We got to we got to spread the word. We got to tell people about it. So, um, yeah, appreciate you once again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pan African Traders Podcast.